This is an interview on Sunday, March 21st, 2021, with Vic Stone by Nick Perkel. Now, Vic, can you tell me about getting your very first guitar? I had taken up, you know, interest like probably any other guitars pretty early on in my life. Not super early, uh, uh, or I think I'd be more virtuoso and less of a, <laughs> you know, less of a songwriter than I am. But uh, I think that I really, really got interested in in playing uh, maybe... I want to say like around when I was 12 years old, which that's a, it's pretty late for some people, but that's when I that's when I kind of felt the urge to to want to play. You know, showing the interest in it, my dad was a little protective of his gear, understandably so. You know, now that I'm a father, I'm I'm the same way with my stuff. But uh, you know, once he saw that I was genuine uh, about it, you know that that Christmas, my parents got me a guitar and I, I still have it today. It's a, it's an Epiphone and it, it's a Strat copy. I, I don't know what the model is exactly, which in the irony is palpable given Gibson sued everybody that had anything slightly V shaped, but here I've got a, a, a fender shaped Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> so it was exciting to me because they also bought me like a, you know, I made horrible noise for a long time before I, uh, before I had enough skill to start really writing music. My dad had showed me a few chords, you know, I just, I just plugged away at it. It was fun, you know, and it was a decent enough guitar. It kept me there for a few months before finally, uh, you know, a few years later I needed to upgrade. I was like, if if I'm going to play this thing, I'm going to need a better one. That's, I guess that's the way I saw it. You know, I, I got myself a more, a more playable guitar because this one hadn't been set up or anything, you know, and it still needs to be set up and all that kind of stuff. But it, it got me there. It really set the spark to flame. Were you involved in any like musical classes or have any private tutors growing up? I, I wasn't, you know, like in school, I think in sixth grade or something, I think I tried out for band. I was miserable at everything all the wind instruments and uh even the drums Uh, i i thought i did good on the on the drums but the instructor did not think so i thought i had pretty good timing maybe i didn't i can't recall but so that that right there i I think it was just kind of a thing that they did in my school they they were like you know okay band tryouts you know you got you out of class for a little bit and everybody went and tried out and whatever and i i just wasn't really interested in it at the time and and continued to not be interested in it uh, in high school. And um, so, I mean, I wasn't in any type of musical classes. I mean, I had a high school rock band, like, you know, so many other people did. But that was my, I guess that was my music class, you know. And I had for one year in high school, I, I had a tutor. I had a teacher, you know, paying the guy. I think I, I, I think I went to four classes. And the guy never taught me anything. He always wanted to, he, he wanted to teach me songs and I wanted to learn theory and stuff he, he was he wouldn't do that he was like what song do you want to learn and i'd be like I, I don't really want to learn a song i want to learn theory and he'd rattle off something and then basically it was it was just back to well, what song do you want to learn and it was like dude i'm not paying you for this so he didn't teach me anything I, I took nothing away from the lessons that i got from this guy and and i never i was that was it i was just like guess i'm gonna teach myself so that's that's where i was for that do you have any musicians in your family? And if so, what kinds of valuable advice have they tried to teach you about the business side of the industry? I do. My grandfather uh, played in a rockabilly band in the 50s, and my dad was in a metal band in the 80s. They just they didn't really give me any insight other than, 
this is a long road of heartbreak and it wasn't really valuable advice, but they weren't exactly wrong. I mean, that's what my grandpa told my dad and that's what my dad told me. And it is, it's, it's a hard path to follow. Uh, there's lots of, there's lots of heartbreak involved in it, but, uh, I'm happy to have the lineage though. I, I think that having, you know, musicians in your family kind of gives you and maybe a little more motivation than somebody who picks something up, uh, just you know of their own free will you know a lot of people oh you know it's ingrained in music it's in your blood and and you know that's not necessarily true but there, there's something there you know it does it's it's kind of a generational thing it passes on i i think more than anything being told to me about the industry i think that having musicians in my family was uh more valuable than any advice that could be given to me being a musician myself so yeah, but as for like insider information, there there was none, uh, and that, it's not for lack of talent either. Like, basically, they told what what I gathered from my grandfather and my father was that yeah, it, it's kind of a kind of a corrupt thing, just like everything else in life. It, there's clicks and everything. <laughs> that that's not entirely wrong, you know. My my grandpa in the fifties dealt with something that was called I think it was called payola, where you know you got the disc jockey to play your stuff based on if you could pay him off. That was a real thing back then. I, and, and that's not entirely not true these days. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I learned you got to be tough if you're going to keep doing it. It gave me some grit and determination. What do you remember about your favorite memories of being in Vindicator? There, there are countless stories. And, I, you know, we haven't done as much as our peers have. But the life experiences that we took away from what we have accomplished – there there's I, there's so many favorite memories um just the other day i was i was talking to uh, marshall and jesse and i brought up the time that we were we were on tour and we were i i we were i don't know where we were i, I don't know it's it's not too embarrassing to me but we all like whizzed in the ocean kind of did that thing there was no bathrooms it was like dude we can't where where do we pee just let it go man and it's, you know, I don't know, maybe that's embarrassing to some people. I thought, I think it's funny. And there's a lot of instances like that. You know, there's a lot of great shows, too, though. I mean, it's not all like humorous stuff. It's not all scary stuff. You know, there were some scary situations that we were relatively blessed in terms of not getting in trouble or having any real dicey situations presented to us. Um, but I mean, you know, some of the stuff that we saw some of the stuff that we experienced and these aren't specifics either. I, I'm sorry. I'm getting away from specific moments. I don't know, man. I guess it's difficult to own specific moments. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like some of my favorite moments, I mean, dude, we played uh, which Thrasho Thrasho de Mayo four, I think it was. And that was one of the most intense crowds I've ever played in front of. And it wasn't like a festival crowd. I don't know. There might've been three, three or 400 kids in that room, but oh my goodness, it was electric. I've never experienced anything like it since either. And I mean, those kids were singing our songs. They knew words to my, the songs that I wrote, they were, they were grabbing the mic and singing along. They weren't just shouting incoherent, ridiculous things. They were singing the music. They were stage diving. It was a massive hit. Never experienced anything like that before. Never experienced anything like it since. And that's a, that's a memory right there. That's what we thought we were getting ourselves into when we started the band, you know, and uh, we, we worked up to that moment. And that's that's a really special moment to me. There's also the show that we played in Topeka, Kansas, 
where we asked for water from the bar and we got a pitcher full of water with bugs in it. And you bet your ass we drank that because it was hot as fuck on that stage. So we, we, we always remember the bug water. That's what we call it, the bug water. And yeah, you know, I mean, so it's, it's stuff like that, you know, like there's so many of those kind of memories that and it's funny because you'll forget about them and at random they'll come up in conversation. Uh, the same tour, uh, our, our, our East Coast tour, um, we were playing, I think it was Virginia Beach. Our bass player was behind Marshall, and Marshall was, was you know, rocking out during a part. And, and the bass player, no, he was in front of him, I'm sorry. Uh, the bass player was in front of Marshall, throws his head back, and clocks Marshall right on the eye. And for the rest of that tour, Marshall had, like, the classic, like, boxer shiner. I mean, pitch black. It was black. I've never, you hear the term black eye and it's always like, oh, it's a little bruise or something. His whole eye was black. I mean, not the, I guess not the, you know, the eyeball itself, but I mean around it. That's, that's, it's just memories like that. And they're all equally the same to me. That's the point. I, this is a real long way of me saying that I guess I don't have so many favorite memories. They're all my favorite memories because you don't know when the last time you're going to go out and do that kind of stuff is. So they're all equally, even the small ones, you know, playing our first shows here, here locally, you know, to kids who had no idea what thrash was and, and absolutely flooring those kids. They had no clue what we were. And it was like living in the eighties during the first wave of thrash. And those kids didn't know what that music was. And it was just like, Oh my, this is amazing. So, I mean, I guess for somebody like me, all of these moments are are my favorite moments and, and equally as cherished because, again, we haven't done as much as our peers have. So we haven't had so many experiences that some, I guess, are clear winners, whereas others aren't, you know, I don't think I'm too far off there. <laughs> for Vindicator, you recently re-released that Metal Witch split with a live track at the end of Dog Beneath the uh, Skin. Can you tell me, like, the songwriters... Of that and also I guess a few words that concert the audio comes from dog beneath the skin was written uh, shortly that was uh, the next thing that we kind of took on after there will be blood and if I if I may uh, elaborate on the song itself uh, we had played a show at a DIY venue in Boston and this was one of the few dicey situations we got into and uh, there was a guy there being an absolute dick and ex mortis i believe played before us and so they opened they opened we played and i think it was razor race headlined and this guy he was just kind of being shitty to people in the audience and the guy was clearly you know fucked up but uh still though being like an asshole it it, it came to a head when this this dude I don't know how this happened. I don't know if he tackled, he actually, ta I think he tackled Conan. I think he actually tackled him while he was playing guitar. Disrupts the set, fucks up Mario's drums, fucks up Conan's guitar, and all of us were there, like, on on the situation. All, all, you know, we were all, we were tight-knit back then. Those, those, early, those early days, the bands were real tight-knit. I was one of, like, nine people that grabbed this guy off the stage area because there was no stage area. It was just a, it was a warehouse. It was a floor. You know, so we drag him out of where the bands are playing. And out of all the people that had a hold of this guy, this guy punches me in the face. And it was the first time we ever got in a conflict playing a show. And it was, oh man, it amped me up. It was actually really exciting. The guy didn't do any damage to me. He like, he cut a little bit below my eye and that was it, you know? And, and it was, it, man, it got the adrenaline going. I was real excited to play. And uh, wasn't tired at all. <laughs> One of the few times I had a lot of energy. 
And uh, so the song was about that. I brought that experience back home and I was like, yeah, man, I'll write this song, you know, and and, uh, and and so I wrote the lyrics and I wrote the riffs. You know, we brought them down to rehearsal and worked them out as a band. And, you know, I, I don't know if we were if it, if it was the idea was to get another full length underwear. But we got, you know, approached by uh, Slaney out of Ireland about the split and uh so naturally we're like, well, yeah, let's do it. You know? So we had those songs already kind of going. So, um, the live track was actually at, a, a benefit concert for a friend who had passed away and, and it's not just a friend. I'm not going to just, you know, generically say that it was Wayne Holocaust who was in Vindicator, uh, in the early days. Um, he was on the rehearsal demo and, uh, he, he left shortly before South Amber's thrash demo was recorded and uh, but still, uh, he wrote he was, you know, he helped write songs like Thrash and Destroy. And uh, even the uh, even as new as the, the song Sleeping with Evil that uh, he and Jesse had written that in a band that happened while Vindicator Vindicator's first hiatus. So real dear friend of mine and a massive influence on uh, me even writing the music that I write. So. Uh, we, it was, it was a, it was a real hard thing for, you know, a lot of us who were friends with him and, and who had been in bands with him and we had benefit show. Um, when we decided to reissue Dog Beneath the Skin, I, I'd always wanted that to be an EP and we had, a, we had asked Slaney about it, but they were real, they were real bent on doing the split, which was fine. You know, it was like, that's, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to argue that we should do an EP versus, whatever here's a label that's interested in putting our music out yeah we want to do that you know so um but we we i wanted to kind of get it out there as a standalone release so we had it slightly you know we, we had it remastered and uh we wanted to add some some additional material to it because you know slaney they wanted the covers they were like do some covers i'm pretty sure that's how that went down i i don't think we had the wherewithal to to do the covers but we're like okay we'll do some covers and we did the the two covers that are on the the actual split, but also I didn't want to add those for, for a few reasons. That reason, and I wanted to keep the split kind of unique to itself. So the covers stayed on there, and we swapped the covers out with uh, like a pre-production mix and uh, the the live track. For your band Volcana, how did you guys come together, and what were some of the collective influences you guys shared when it came to your favorite bands? Yeah, I, I know you know this. Vindicators had like just a spiraling continuous flow of uh, of lead players and it's just it, it never seems to work out for us it's never like a bad blood situation it's just it, things in individuals lives not lining up and so we've struggled with that throughout our career one of the downtimes i approached jeff about playing for vindicator you know he was like yeah i'm not doing nothing right now i think this might have been uh, either slightly before he joined Warbringer or slightly after I, he, he, he left. So I don't know if I can't remember specifically, but, and, but I'd also had these other songs. Now for me, I don't know, just I, one day I was like, I'm going to tune my guitar down and play some music. And being a fan at the time, like I was really into gods of the earth by the sword and I was like, oh, there's that riff. And I could play that one song. I can't remember what riff specifically is. I, is. I honestly, I think it's, it's, I think it's Gods of the Earth. I'm pretty sure. Let me look here real quick, really quick. 
damn, I can't remember the, the specific name of the song. So, but it, it's a riff from that record. And it was fun. And it spawned some ideas. It's just kind of how, how it happens for me. So I, was, I had these other songs. I had these other ideas that didn't fit Vindicator's build. And I, and I couldn't, it, it just wasn't, they weren't songs that at all worked out. I didn't want to waste those either. So him hawing over whether or not I should try to convince, you know, to take Jeff on for Vindicator for a project that was kind of really slowing down. Because not only that, at the time, my brother was kind of in a situation where he wasn't really interested slash couldn't do Vindicator. It was real challenging to book shows. And it was just like, I, I, I don't know, at the time, Vindicator kind of had me a little sour and I was ready to take a break from it. Because in the past, I, I would never betray my my baby. You know, that's that's my baby. And I was just at a point in my life where I wanted to do something new. So I get a hold of Jeff again, and I'm like, I got this idea. Do you want to do this? And he was into the idea. And honestly, I think I actually approached Glenn first. And there's, this, is a, this is a long one, man. This is a real drawn-out one. So Glenn, I met Glenn on tour with... Vicious Rumors and Seven Witches. So Vindicator did a seven-day run with Vicious Rumors and Seven Witches in 2014, I think. That date's probably wrong, but it was it was a while before I started Volcano. And I stayed friends with him. I remained friends with him, you know, Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to do something new. I didn't want to hit up anybody locally. I wanted to reach out to these people that I'd met over the years. And Glenn was the first, actually, he was the first guy that I contacted. I said, hey, I'm going to start this band that's kind of like this. It's kind of like the sword. And uh, Glenn was absolutely into that idea. And so then I got a hold of Jeff again, who I'd already been discussing, you know, joining bands with, blah, blah, you know, hey, you want to do this thing? Same thing. Yeah, man, I'd love to do that. Because it was a real, the ideology going into it was that it was a real laid back project. You know, we'll do what we can do. There's no pressure and maybe someday we'll pull off shows. I don't know. So basically, we approached it as a studio project. But our influences, for me, it was I wanted to do kind of a modern doom band. So, I, you know, being like a, like kind of coming into at that time, High on Fire and The Sword. Not that I didn't own doom metal, you know, like Black Sabbath and, and Trouble and, and Candlemass, you know, all these kind of things. It was just at the time I was really getting into The Sword, really liking those riffs because they, they were they were kind of marketed as a doom band, but they're more of like a traditional band. And High on Fire, you know, there again, you kind of got the sludge doom vibe, but then there's like fast songs, which is you, when you think of doom, when most people think of doom, they think of the slower paced stuff. So these these bands kind of got me pumped and I'm like, I like this low tuning and we're going to try this thing. So I think I wrote a four song EP was what we were going to shoot for. And for some reason. I just it just never left the floor. And and I, I think it was because I felt guilty about not focusing on Vindicator. And I'd already blown it. You know, I already got Jeff involved in this thing. And I'm like, I can't double back now. And I left it set for a few years and then re got a hold of Jeff and Glenn. Both of them were still like, yes, we still want to do this. And I tried to have this thing wrapped up in time for the last Ragnarok or I wanted to have like a, a single or something to take with me to give away. And we weren't able to like get any pressings done. So we had the single ready and I was able to give away some download codes. And I had no expectations going into it when we wrote A Line Among Jackals. And uh, it got a lot of attention considering there was no like PR firm behind it. And I hadn't hit anybody up that I mean, just I was like, hey, I did this thing with some friends. Check it out. 
and people were gen- generally interested. And Dive Bomb hit us up to be on a compilation. That was exciting. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And at like the exact same time, the fledgling label Austinitized Records hit us up to do a seven inch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It, it, it's just kind of carried on since then. You know, we we've we do what we do when we can do it, you know, and given all of our situations, we all have our own projects and things going on in lives. So we make this fit with our lives. It's, it's not, you know, we've, we've tried to remain consistent over the years, but it's, you do what you can do. So, I mean, Glenn and Jeff, they bring their own thing to this band. I, I can't say that I can't speak on behalf of them in terms of what their influences are. Glenn's a phenomenal drummer. Like that guy, he brings it, man. And he knows what to bring to this particular project. So he knows, he knows what I'm looking for. He knows what I want to hear on these tracks. And that's not just me saying that. Like sometimes I, when I'm writing this stuff, I'll send him the tracks. When he sends me the drums back, it's exactly what I heard in my head, but not told him to play. So it, that's the kind of connection we have at that. He just knows what to do. And Jeff adds a whole different layer and level to the band that I, it's just, it's, it's like Christmas day, man, for me, you know, when I get tracks back from Jeff, you never know what you're going to get. It might be like 37 guitars and it's this epic masterpiece. And it might just be this saucy lead that fits perfect, you know? So everybody knows what they're doing. They all bring their own influences. But for me, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing me, you know, I'm writing stuff that uh, I, 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 you know, again, it would be probably the sword and high on fire being some of my biggest influences that, but just anything I hear, nothing's really off the plate. Cause if you, if you check out, if you, if you check out goddess flame, I think it's the last track on the record, not the instrumental, but Witchblade's kind of a thrashy song. Why not? You know, that's just, that's, that's what I was feeling at the time. So influences for me they're they're pretty wild and out there but those other two guys they they're just pros i don't know they know what they're doing they know what i want to hear and they bring it every time how old was the material on violent night's brave new holocaust and for you what three songs were your favorite to play and why the material was goodness gracious when we tracked it it was i don't know close to a decade i think it was close to 10 years old Having said that, that's that's the original. That's a source material. Was that old? Um, looking back on those tracks uh, and having done what I had done over the years, and I, I told Wayne this. I said, you know, we're gonna, I'm gonna update these songs. We're gonna retool these songs. So a lot of that material was kind of rewritten with some of the original stuff maintained, but some of it being more of an inspiration than it, you know, was making it to the record. Some of it might have even predated that, but I mean, it, it was old source material that got a, a heavy facelift because none of the lyrics are the original lyrics, except for one track. Light the Dynamite is the only track on that record that remained true to its original form lyrically and musically. Man, my favorite tracks. I did write some of my favorite stuff on this. The Highest is one of my favorite tracks that I've written. Not so much for the, the material that is like with the, the vocal, the, the, the verses and the choruses, but the end of that song is one of the coolest things I've ever written. It, it's so, it, it was, I wanted to write a, an Iron Maiden part and I think I pulled it off perfectly. And uh, James LaRue plays on that one, does the solos on that one. And uh, everything's, per- it's just perfect. I, it's one of my favorite bits that I've ever written. So that particular song uh, is, is one of my favorite songs I, I've, I've ever written. They're all kind of cool. Bite of the Chrome's kind of a cool song. I, I, I think that one might have been 100% original. I, I, I think I might have wrote that for this record. That one might not have had any source material. 
Brave New Holocaust is, is one of my favorite songs because I wrote all the lyrics on this record too. So I think Brave New Holocaust was one of my one of the best lyric sets that I've written. I think it seeds a piece that might have the uh, the artillery vibe to it, which is something I've always wanted to do in Vindicator. And I just, you know, because Vindicator wasn't really tracking at the time, this is the thing that I was doing. So this got my attention. This got the riff. I've always wanted to do that with Vindicator, and I was, and, and it was always hard for me, and I managed to pull it off. I think it's Seeds of Peace, but it might be, uh, it might be Black Oil, Red Blood. I can't remember. I don't think so. I think it's Seeds of Peace. I, I think that Brave New Holocaust and Seeds of Peace and, and the Highest News might be my favorite tracks on the record. Um, they're all special to me for you know various reasons, given you know the whole history behind the, the release in and of itself. You know, and especially given Wayne's now passed on. So this that record, the whole record's really special to me, incredibly difficult for me to listen to these days. Still, though, uh, you know, I'm I'm proud of my work. I'm a fan of my work. I've said it in the past. I write songs for myself. That's probably why I'm not more popular than I am. (laughs) But those three are, I think, are my my personal favorite tracks. I I don't know about anybody else, but I do need to put on highest news because I haven't listened to it in a while. And I, I absolutely I absolutely love that it, the ending to that track. It's my favorite. What is the current situation for you as a musician when it comes to playing and attending live concerts in Ohio? Well, you know, I was asked this a similar question uh, last year: uh, how the how the pandemic's affecting me. And, and me personally, it's it's really not. Uh, Vindicator's schedule is already. I mean. We played in 2019 at the Benefit Show. It was the first time, I think, in a year and a half or two years. We don't play that frequently, given we haven't had a, 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 a solid lineup until, the, you know, this, what was it, last year. Uh, we finally found a lead player. So, you know, when you have to have fill-ins all the time, it becomes incredibly difficult to book shows, to rehearse, and, and it, it can affect you in terms of how your band gels. It was really hard anyway, so we already weren't playing that much. You know, all the other bands that I was in, we were, were all real low-profile projects in, term, in terms of, you know, playing live and whatnot. I mean, Vanek wasn't, Vanek played maybe once or twice a year, you know, because Midnight was was Sean's priority. So, um, Volcana, you know, we're a studio project. If, if we can get on a cool festival, we might do that, but otherwise, you're not going to, it's not something I can do locally because, you know, my drummer's in New Jersey and, and my lead player's in Washington. So that's not something I can just hop, you know, make happen. And it's not something that would be cheap to make happen or it would take a lot of planning and a lot of money. So it's got to be the right situation for all of us in order for us to play live, you know. And, you know, so I guess as a musician, it's not really been too hard for me. There again, I have a lot of friends who it's been incredibly difficult on. So it does vary uh, person to person. Uh, in terms of a fan, it, it, being a fan, yeah, I mean, it's been shitty. You know, we, 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 uh, my wife and I streamed the, uh, the Wolf concert. I think it was last month or the month before, Stream Bloody Stream. And it's weird. It was, it was cool because, you know, not going to any shows in a long time. And then it was nice to see live music, but it was weird. The weirdest thing to me was that there was no audience. It wasn't even that we were watching a, a concert on our TV in our living room. It was that there was no audience. There was no cheering. There was there was only the energy from the band. And being a musician, that's an incredibly difficult thing to pull off. I, at least for myself, if there is no energy return, oh man, I don't. I don't. It's like, why am I doing this? You know. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm sure other bands have obligations and those guys that, you know, they, you did have to pay for that live stream. It wasn't just like you were sitting in front of a camera, you know, playing, but that energy returns an important part. And even as a fan, I think it is, you know, they're up there going, Oh, right. Yeah. How are you guys doing tonight? And it's crickets. And it's like, this is awkward, you know? So you do, you, they're doing their best. And, and, but it was, it was pleasant, you know, it was, it was good because we, we hadn't been to a show in a long time. And, you know, so that part, that part is hard, and I know eventually we'll get back to that. So, I mean, for me, I'm a family man. I'm an, I'm, getting, I'm an old guy now. It's getting hard to stay up late, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't too awful, you know. But, I mean, I'll want to go back to concerts soon. I mean, that's not even – that's like the that's, – that's one of many things I want to get back to soon. So <laughs> that element of it has, has been hard, you know. How have you been surviving the pandemic? It's just – yeah, it's not been fun. So <laughs> – but, I mean, certainly not alone in that situation. But as a musician, again – um, honestly, maybe it, it maybe it, it has had its inva- its advantages for being a musician. I mean, there's been a lot of cool things for musicians, uh, especially in 2020. It's such a shitty situation, but I mean, a lot of places gave away like free software, free plugins, and whatnot. I mean, I got a mastering suite for free. I think it's like a $200 suite, but I mean. That's awesome, man. Just because they felt bad for musicians. They were like, here, have this software that you would normally pay a couple hundred bucks for. Yeah, I'm going to take advantage of that. Now I can master my own stuff if I want to. I mean, that's awesome. You know, that's a real giving away tools and, and, and encouraging to, to further your learning and your craft and whatnot. So that situation was was good. I mean, a lot of stuff last year. I hadn't even planned going into the year, not knowing that we wouldn't be allowed to do anything. I accomplished far more than I thought I'd accomplish. So, I mean, for a musician, the shows, not being able to play shows, that's one thing. But certainly making the best of your time, it, it's, it allowed for a lot of creative, you know, uh, happenings, if you will, you know. So it sucked not being able to play live shows. But for me, anyways, that was already something that didn't happen too frequently, given my own personal situation. So... But it did allow me to do a lot of writing. It really opened up some some doors there. So that was super cool, you know. So that that element, you know, lemons to lemonade or whatever that saying is. But I I personally made the best of of 2020 in terms of creativity. So for a musician aspect, it wasn't certainly as bad as it could have been for me. What are your three most cherished albums in your collection? That question is a phenomenal question, and I think the reason why is because you get your your top influential albums, but cherished albums aren't necessarily influential albums. Cherished albums don't have to be something that has given you creative drive in your life. It doesn't even necessarily have to be your favorite records either, and I know that's kind of a weird way of me you know, ramping up to my cherished albums, but I, I, I give this a lot of thought. It's incredibly difficult. One of my most cherished albums that I own is uh, a, a 45 of my grandpa's band. It was a split, so it's got some other guy on the other side, but it's, it's, it's special to me because they didn't put out a lot of music. They have a couple 45s, and they're, one of them is really easy to find. This is one of the easier ones to find, but this one has his autograph on it too. And This wasn't something I got from him. So, I mean, this is really special to me because yeah, I tracked it down and, 
and it was gifted to me. But I mean, I, I had I found it and was like, oh my goodness, look at this. You know, I don't even have one of these, but this one's got my grandpa's autograph on it. And uh, I framed it up, man. That's that's a really special record to me. And um, for the other two, I mean, it, that one that's difficult to me also because I think that my most cherished records are the things that. And I don't want to sound like like egotistical or stuck up, but the stuff that I've done, those are those are cherished to me. Uh, and the stuff that my dad's done, and the stuff that my grandpa's done, I, I think it's the stuff that that we put our that my family's put its lifeblood in. I mean, because I have records that I mean, I have favorite records, and I, I do. And to pick three is a, a real challenge. You know, if I go outside of my own family's material, you know. One of my all-time favorite records is Dawn Breakers and Dawn Bringers into the Lair of the Sun God. That that record to me is is I phenomenal. It's it's a top. It's a Desert Island record for me. Is it cherished? Yes and no. I mean, but that's the thing, you know. Like I'm not gonna frame that. You know what I mean? Like that's so to me. Like I, I feel like it's something that you hold like sentimental value to over even the quality of of what you're listening to. So I mean, I I, I feel like. You know, if I'm framing it and putting it on a wall, then it means something to me. So I think that I would have to put like, you know, and I can't signal out like because my dad had several releases. You know, I've got my own, you know, history of releases. Those things that I frame, I think those are those are the cherished records to me. And I'm sorry to have to change the question to, to suit me, but I think it's all the stuff that I've done and all the stuff that my dad's done and all the stuff my grandfather's done. Those are the ones I'm going to put on display in my home. Because I'm proud of that. I'm proud of, of my musical lineage, and I'm proud of my uh, of, of what I've accomplished myself, you know. And I, I hope that my kids are proud of me, you know. I hope they don't think I'm a, a dweeb or anything like that, because you know. But I, I think that they're, I think that they're going to appreciate that, you know. Well, my dad did this stuff, you know. So I've got, I've got stuff set aside for them too, you know, so that when they get older, if they want to give it to friends or display it, they can do that themselves, you know. So I think that's the cherished stuff to me. You know, if my kids make any music, that'll be cherished to me as well. So I think that if I'm an old guy, eventually someday I'm an old guy and maybe I, I either give my, my collection away or sell it. The stuff that is going to stay in my house forever is the stuff that I framed. That's the stuff that, you know, my, my family's created. So, so sorry to have changed it from three cherished records. But, <laughs> but you know, like I said, my dad's got, you know, he's got two records and in, in, in a, in a 45 and then that stuff got reissued by storm spell. I'm, I'm going to frame all that stuff. You know, that stuff's special to me. So I, I helped get that storm spell stuff out there too. So, I mean, like that's part of my own musical journey. I think that's, I definitely think that's my most chair. The most cherished records I own are those records. Favorite urban legend or ghost story from growing up in Ohio. And have you written a song about one? I have. And I do. I, the one that has stuck with me, and that sticks with, I mean, I don't know about nowadays, but when I was a kid and then like, you know, my brother and Marshall's age group and, and Wayne's age group, it was Gore Orphanage, the, the, their legend of Gore Orphanage, which was the, the story was that on Gore Orphanage Road, the road was named after the orphanage. There was an orphanage that burned down with the kids inside. And if you could, you could still find the foundation of the orphanage and it was, it went as far as the occult practice to there and all kinds of, of cool, like, you know, supernatural whatnot. Well, the truth of the matter is that it was never an orphanage. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. 
it was owned by an individual who was not in the home when the house burned down. The house did burn down, but uh, the truth of the matter is no kids died in, in the, the making of that urban legend. Uh, but, you know, that's not going to stop the fun of an urban legend. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of them in this area. This is an old area, man. The Firelands are a very old area. So we've got some classics, but Gore Orphanage is one of the prominent ones from the area. There's a couple indie films about it. You know, we naturally were like, let's write a song about Gore Orphanage. You know, it's a classic, like, punky kind of anthem, classic sing-along chorus. You know, it's, it's actually a staple in our set list today. It's an, it's an easily recognizable song. I think that, you know, fans really dig it because they, they know the words. It doesn't take, you know, it's one of those songs that, I don't know if you've ever been to a show, you watch a band, and you can catch on to the chorus, like, immediately. Like, I've been to several shows like that, and I love those kind of choruses, because then you can sing along. You don't even know the song, and you're singing along with it, and Gore Orphanage has that kind of vibe. And uh, But yeah, that's definitely, that was, that was, uh, that made it down to There Will Be Blood. It's one of our, it's one of our, it's one of my favorite to play live. I, I love playing it, because it's a, it's a real autopilot kind of song, too. So, you got the catchy chorus, and people can sing with you, put yourself on autopilot, have a good time. It's, it's, it's a blast, but yeah, out of all the ones we have around here, that was the one. That's the one that is most prominent, at least in our area, amongst you know a dozen or more. And uh, there's a whole book series, man. It's called Haunted Ohio. There's like five of those things, and I can only imagine. I only know my local area, and we've got at least twelve, if not twenty-five, just in you know in a fifteen-minute drive radius. So I don't know how many miles that would be. All right. Us, us, us Ohioans, we use time to measure distance. So, <laughs> but yeah, we do have that. We did nail that one. The urban legend song. I don't know how many people do that, but we got one. Would you like to go back to any questions? Man, I think you're pretty thorough in, in, in your asking. And to be honest, I want to, but I wouldn't know what one to go back to. Cause I can talk forever, man. Uh, and if you got me in a talking mood, I, I, I think that, we 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 really ironed out all the stuff um do you have any further questions for me i guess is a more appropriate question you know what what is your most hallowed concert memory that you played i i think it is thrato it has to be um and i'm not saying i mean that the reason that that energy was the most memorable amount like energy get coming off of an audience is because of how many people were there equally as pumped up it's not that we've never played shows people weren't pumped up because california the shows there i mean after we played there the first time uh the shows were all pretty well received and and not just california we played we've played shows out here where there was an energy with crowd you know you just want people to be into it you know but everybody was on 11 at that show everybody I don't know, man, if they were just like thrashing, that was it. That's all they needed. They didn't care who was playing, but it, it, it couldn't have been that because as I, as I said, you know, those kids knew our songs and we've never, I've never, I mean, a chorus is one thing, but those kids knew the songs because Marshall was able to put the mic in the crowd during verses and those kids knew the words. I'll never forget that. Because we've not been fortunate enough to play Europe and play some of the European fests. And I know that those those crowds are equally as energetic. You know, you, you play a gig, you play Key, but truly play Vakken, you know, 
there's so many of them over there too. And they're all like, yep, you're, there's going to be a thousand people there who know you, who will sing your songs and give you that energy. But we've never, we've never gotten that opportunity. So for us, Thrasha was the closest thing that any of us have experienced. And I, I can speak on behalf of the entire band. Well, I can't speak on at the time. Mike, Mike, uh, Mikey Belial was playing leads for us. I don't know. He's in like a Metallica tribute band, so I'm sure they've had some big shows of people knowing Metallica songs. I don't know if that's the same. Thing. <laughs> I don't know if you can count that. I don't think you can because it's not their material. But still, but for the rest of us, for Jesse, myself, and Marshall, we we've never played a show before or since that had that level of energy and that many people in one room tearing shit up like those kids did i mean it was intense it was crazy and that's what we that's what we want that's what we expected that's what we thought we were going to get the first time we played california and that's but that's what we got we got to do it one time and i'll tell you what if, if i if i never did it again at least i got that experience once that time we got to do the real thing and i mean it was bonkers man that's that's why we wanted to do it, it was absolutely insane I mean, just the, the stage diving, the pit, the singing along, it was everything. When you when people tell you they're they're in bands, that's what they think you get on a regular basis. And that's not true at all. So I, that was awesome, man. That was absolutely off the hook. And that is my favorite probably show memory. We played a lot of shows. We played a lot with, with a lot of cool bands and with a lot of cool people. And there were a lot of great shows, each with their own little kind of wild fun thing you know an experience but that particular show that one had just the amount of energy you could have powered the entire the entire state off the energy coming out of that room it was intense it was insane so i mean that's like like i said when you see a band playing vakin and the entire like you know several thousand people are moving it was like that, but on a much smaller scale, you know, so that was, yeah, that was something, man. That's probably, that's my most memorable show. Absolutely, man. Final words? I don't know, man. Uh, I appreciate, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the interview. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, we can do this again, uh, given, you know, Vindicators in studio, <clears throat> the drums are going to be, we're doing drums in a couple months. So there's a new album written. This is the first one in like, goodness gracious almost a decade i'm i'm still doing it i hope that anyone listening if you can find you know enjoyment in any of the music i write that you you can check out the other projects that i've done and and uh you know hopefully support them you know give us a like buy a record merch i don't know stuff like that so yeah i'm, I'm still doing stuff i hope to be doing stuff until i die but for now i'm just i'm doing it <laughs> so check Check out any of the stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming you provide links, but otherwise, you know, Google searches work just fine. So give us a give us a look up, a look see, and see what you think. Thank you. This has been an interview on Sunday, March 21st, 2021, with Vic Stone by Nick Perkel. <laughs>